Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Yeah, thank you very much, Joey Martin, pulling double duty today. I say that as if I'm not. This is the second episode of our Locked On Mariners doubleheader today, and we are still part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The V gets longer and longer every episode. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners Podcast or any of the other wonderful programs here on the Locked On Podcast Network or T-L-O-P-N or Tloppin. Follow us on Twitter at L-O underscore Mariners and follow me on Twitter as well. I don't know what's going on right now. At D-C underscore Lundberg, L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G for those scoring at home. Oh, this is what happens, I guess, when I record two episodes in one night. It's currently 11.16 p.m., but of course, by the time you're listening to this, it's Friday afternoon already, or maybe Friday evening. You're listening to this on your way home from work, perhaps. In that case, I hope you had a great day. Oh, what am I saying? In any case, we're going to talk a little Mariners history today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mariners actually accomplished something on this date in 1998. Incidentally, mailbag, not incidentally, because it's my show. Not incidentally, but this uh, mailbag will be the second uh, half of today's show. On this date, however, August 28th, 1998, year of our Lord, the Mariners hit uh, three home runs on this day, which, you know, that happened a lot in that era. However, they reached the 200 home run plateau for the season on this day in 1998, and that made them the first team in history to have 200 or more home runs in three consecutive years. That's an amazing feat. And that's, you know, 1998, 1997, 1996, if you want to work backwards. 1995, the Mariners hit 182 home runs, but lest you forget, that was a strike-shortened season, 144 games. If you project that out to 162 games, that's a little over 204 home runs. So that, you know, that, that kind of cost them a little bit. Incidentally, 1994, they hit 153 home runs. Which, and here's what's interesting. Those 153 home runs in 1994 were good for third in the American League. And the 182 that they hit in 1995, also third in the American League. There was something of a power surge going on in 1995 that would be exaggerated in 1996 and then really exaggerated in 1998. In any case, back to this uh, feat that they accomplished on the state in 1998. The three players to hit home runs for the Mariners this day, Ken Griffey Jr., no. Alex Rodriguez, no. Edgar Martinez, no. Jay Buhner, no. Dan Wilson, no. Well then, who the hell was it? Guess what, gang? It was Russ Davis, Shane Monahan, and Rob Ducey who gave the Mariners this 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 record. It's obviously not who you would expect it to be. Russ Davis had some pop, but he was in the middle of a very bad season. Rob Ducey was a very good fourth outfielder who could give you a few starts a week in left center and right field. Not much of a power hitter. He had you know some pop. And Shane Monahan was was a rookie, so the fact that it was those three kind of you know that that kind of struck me funny, but three consecutive years with two hundred or more home runs, you know that was something back in the day. I I suppose of course it was since you know they set a record, very very impressive to say the least. Get in. We'll talk about this nineteen ninety eight Mariners team just a little bit, even though I I did a whole episode on them. 
I don't remember when that was, but it was it was um it was when the things had been shut down and I did a yearbook series that lasted three weeks where I went over every single season of the Lou Pinella era. In any case, um, let's go over some of these home run numbers. For the 1998 Seattle Mariners, Dan Wilson only hit nine. Not one of his better offensive seasons, 252. Defense really was his calling card. We know this, ladies and gentlemen. But he was a good offensive catcher. Joey Cora checked in with six home runs, also had six triples to lead the team. Kind of amazing. Uh, David Segui, that was his first year as a Mariner. He had replaced... Paul Sorrento was the first baseman, 19 home runs for him. Russ Davis did check in with 20. He, Like I said, he had some pop. 259 batting average and a 442 slugging percentage. So there you go. Glenn Allen Hill hit 12 home runs as a Mariner before leaving midseason. I believe he was traded to the Cubs. Could be wrong about that. Jay Buhner checked in only with 15. This was kind of the year that his knees really started to bother him, and he was limited to 72 games. Edgar Martinez almost reached the 30 home run plateau. 29 of them to be Exact did drive in over 100 runs, 102 runs. Alex Rodriguez, 42 home runs, and Ken Griffey Jr. with 56 home runs. Rob Ducey did hit five home runs in 97 games. Like I said, very good fourth outfielder, played a lot. Shane Monahan got a lot of playing time towards the end of the season, four home runs for him. 242, 269, 346 uh, slash line. Was not walking very much, but then what can you expect? John Marzano checked in with four home runs. I'm going to get to more on John Marzano in just a little bit. One of my favorite all-time Mariners. This was his last season as a Mariner. Uh, Rich Amaral hit one. Raul Labanez hit two. Joe Oliver hit two. Rico Rossi hit one. Rico Rossi, very interesting story. Go back and listen to my episode about the 1998 Mariners for a story about Rico Rossi. Jeff Houston checked in with one before he was released, as did Rick Wilkins. Robert Perez, two home runs in his brief stint as a Mariner. David McCarty with one. And Ryan Radmanovich with two. Hmm... I think I just named every single 1998 Seattle Mariner who had hit a home run. I guess this is what happens when DC doesn't write a script. But as a team, ladies and gentlemen, the 1998 Seattle Mariners hit 234 home runs. First in the American League next season, 1999, they'd hit 244. Also first in the American League. That's four consecutive seasons with 200-plus home runs. 2000. 198 home runs. They barely missed. Seventh in the American League. Ken Griffey Jr. was gone by this point. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen. And Mike Cameron did hit 28 as a Mariner. But hey, and I know you guys know, I'm not the biggest proponent of the home run or the power game. I much prefer small ball, moving guys over. And I'm one of the few guys left who does not mind the bunt. In fact, I like the bunt play, and I like stolen bases. That kind of makes me unique in today's game. I am definitely a throwback. And at this time, I'm a rambling throwback. I want to talk about John Marzano just for a little bit, because there's something else that happened on this date in Mariners history just two years prior to what we had been talking about. This is August 28th, 1996, year of our Lord. This is the day, ladies and gentlemen, in which John Marzano kind of protected Tim Davis. Tim Davis had thrown a high and tight pitch on uh, Paul O'Neill of the Yankees, and the Mariners were in in route to slaughtering the Yankees this day, wound up being attended to final. Paul O'Neill starts running his mouth, and uh, remember, Tim Davis is you know, five foot ten, maybe one hundred sixty-five pounds, soaking wet. And Paul O'Neill was six two, six three, two hundred plus pounds. And Marzano, you know, tough guy from Philly, not all that big himself, but a very solid one ninety-five. 
basically said, if you want to get to Tim Davis, you've got to go through me first. Big right hook in Paul O'Neill's direction. And then all heck broke loose. Benches cleared, and uh, O'Neill and Marzano wound up getting tossed from the game, as does Daryl Strawberry, Baba Yayala, and Jeff Nelson, who came into the ballgame later on. And the first batter that he faces uh, was little Joey Cora, and he hits him. What a uh, I guess I have to bleep that. But uh, and remember, Jeff Nelson would later be a Mariner. He was a hothead too, ladies and gentlemen. He did have a temper. This was one of my favorite brawls in Mariners history, only because I love how John Marzano was protecting his teammate and a very slightly built teammate to boot. Here is our Mariners trivia question for the day. Let's talk about John Marzano, shall we? Johnny Mars was a member of the 1984 U.S. Olympic baseball team, which took the silver medal. He was also drafted in 1984 by the Boston Red Sox in which round? Answer following this word from Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts that are needed in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterperson orders the parts on their computer, all the while choosing the only brand that their warehouse carries? Ladies and gentlemen, you've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and right in your very own pocket. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a store or dealership. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. On the other hand, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they are always reliably low. rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Whether it's for your daily driver or for your classic, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car or truck or van or SUV or crossover or pogo stick or rollerblades or whatever and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Why spend up to twice as much money for the same parts? Doesn't that sound stupid? It is stupid. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your vehicle right now. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Answer to the trivia question, ladies and gentlemen. John Marzano was chosen in the first round uh, in the 1984 draft by the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, he was a first-round draft pick, if you can believe that, ladies and gentlemen, out of Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philly guy through and through. Again, one of my all-time favorite Mariners. He died about 12 years ago, tragically, after an accident in his home. We do miss him. If you've got a question for me or a comment on the show, send an email to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com and I will consider using it for the Friday mailbag segment, which will follow in just a bit. Questions about anything are welcome. LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. Once again, is that email address. Send those questions in and this will be for the show one week from today. Our first mailbag in September. Incidentally, can, can you believe it? it's almost September, ladies and gentlemen? The year is two-thirds over. Yay. More Locked on Mariners upon the conclusion of this very important word.
Now time for the second half of Locked On Mariners. Once again, your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you once again, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. I don't know why I said that. Just Joey Martin, our announcer, ladies and gentlemen, here on Locked On Mariners. Always does a good job introducing the show, bringing us back out of commercial break, and then closing us out on every single episode. It's Friday, and we're doing the Friday mailbag. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, halfway through the season, only a 60-game season, I know. We've only got a few questions today, which is kind of nice because the first segment ran so long. We're going to get right into the first question, and the first question comes to us from our old friend, John in Fife. How appropriate. In any case, he asks, ladies and gentlemen, do you think the M's are playing above their level similar to the way they started the 2019 season? Is this the pace that they are going to keep up all season? If the latter is the case, how long do you see the, quote, rebuild taking? I also want to point out that this question was sent to me on August 6th. Uh, (laughs) So the Mariners have kind of flattened out since then. They're kind of doing... I think the Mariners are kind of doing, you know, what I expected of them. The bats are ahead of the arms, so to speak, in terms of this rebuilding project that they're on right now. And, you know, they're going to go through some down moments. And Shed Long's development, he's not having as good a season as he did in his cup of coffee. Well, he had more than a cup of coffee last season. He's not doing as well as he did last season at the Major League level. I still think he'll be okay. This is such a weird season, though, that it's kind of tough to judge. I mean, I mean, Evan White is starting to come around, so to speak. He's still kind of striking out at a very high clip, but he's making a little bit more consistent contact. He's gotten his average up above around 150 when it had been hovering around, you know, 100. So that's, you know, that's an impressive jump. Vogelback's gone. Taiwan Walker, I don't know if he was really viewed as part of the rebuilding project or not. He's now a Blue Jay anyway. He could have been if the Mariners were to put it together a little bit more this season, perhaps. So they may be competitive next season. But on the other hand, let's see what kind of prospect the Mariners get for for Taiwan Walker. But I get, to get back to your question, um, this is ex- this is kind of how I saw them doing. This is not a surprise to me at all. And how long do I see the rebuild taking? You know, it's so tough to say, but I don't, I'm, if I had to put a time on it, I'll say 2022. I don't think next year is going to be the year. Maybe the year after that, which is 2022. We shall see. Only time will tell. I really can't offer a firm answer on that, unfortunately. The next question I got comes to us from Leslie in Airway Heights in my neck of the woods. So, you know, hello from Spokane. In any case, Leslie in Airway Heights, which is just a stone's throw away from my house, asks, why do you refuse to say the name of the Mariners' ballpark is... And then they list the name. Well, because I am not a fan of the rebranding that they did to the stadium. I kind of feel like this... You know this company. I I will. I don't even say their name in conversation. I, it's not just on this show. I refuse to say their name. I refuse to say their name in everyday conversation. I refuse to type their name. I loathe this company, ladies and gentlemen. And it is because of what they did to a once great stadium. They overbranded the hell out of it, and they made it look like something Mattel would have designed for Barbie because that is their color. They think they're the most important thing for that stadium. You know, their mindset is, yeah, there might be a baseball game going on, but we've got cell phones and crappy wireless service. That's why people are coming here. It's because of us. It has nothing it, it, nothing to do with that sporting team. 
that's that's on that that field over there, which we would dye pink if we could, and we'd make them wear pink uniforms if MLB would allow us to do that. But no, I lo- it's because of the branding to the stadium, and I would be saying the same thing if it was Sprint and they turned the stadium that gaudy yellow. It's. <laughs> It, it's it's an eyesore. It's an eyesore, and they have ruined that stadium. I f- hate them. And yes, that is our second bleep of the day. One more quick story on you know what used to be. I you know the the first name was a corporate name too. So you know the Mariners Stadium. The first year it was crappy cell phone company park. In the preceding offseason, they had called me to ask me if I was interested in purchasing uh, season tickets because I had purchased single-game tickets the last year it was Safeco Field. And I told them that I wasn't interested. Not only had I moved to Spokane in the interim, but I also told them that even if I still live in Seattle, I wasn't going to buy season tickets or any single-game tickets because of what they had done to, to the stadium. I told them in no uncertain terms that the ballpark had been destroyed. So I did voice my displeasure uh, to the at least that ticket agent on the phone who, you know, I, I know they don't care. I'm just one customer. They'll get others. That is just the way business works, and, and I realize that, and I, 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 I don't care. I don't care. We have only two more questions to get through, ladies and gentlemen. This next one comes to us from Aiden Sones, who emails us for the second time and actually did tell me how to pronounce his name. So, uh, Aiden, thank you very much for that. Uh, East Hampton, Connecticut is where this gentleman is from. And his question is, what position or player do you think the Mariners will go after in the 2021 draft? I would say catcher or another pitcher because there aren't any good third basemen in the draft next year. A lot of pitching and catchers, though. This question is way outside of my area of expertise. I don't pay attention to the draft. I don't pay attention to college baseball. I haven't the faintest idea who's in the draft next year. I pay as much attention to prospects as I do golf, which means none. So I asked somebody who does know, and (laughs) so I asked Aram Layton of Locked On MLB Prospects, which you should be listening to every day, ladies and gentlemen, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And uh, he had the following to say, rather long answer, but we'll get through it. And this is a direct quote from Mr. Layton. What pick are we anticipating the Mariners get? Because if it's a top two pick, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter are the clear-cut one and two picks out of Vanderbilt. Kumar Rocker may be one of the best pitching prospects we've seen in years. Outside of the top two, it gets really tough because no Cape Cod League this summer. Usually that's where guys really solidify themselves in the top ten. I'd say outside of Leiter and Rocker, Matt McClain would be a great fit. Was a first-round pick out of high school by D-backs, didn't sign, went to UCLA, and had a tough freshman year, but great summer in Cape and hot start last season. Should be a top-10 pick if he puts up numbers this year as expected. Plus, Mariners can use some middle infield help, and he's a good fit. Well-rounded, potential five-tool type of guy. Um, Aram, thank you for that reply. That's a hell of a lot better answer than I could offer, in which I would probably just have said, well, it depends on where the Mariners pick, and left it at that. So, Aram, thank you again for answering uh, Mr. Sohn's question. 
one more email to get to, and this gentleman actually asks us two questions. This comes to us from Louis Olenek, who did not leave a location. His first question is this. Considering that the Mariners hold the longest playoff drought in any major U.S. league and are also the only active MLB franchise to have never won a pennant, are those of us who still watch every M's game the most loyal fans in sports? I don't know the answer to that for sure, uh, but you've bring up a really good point actually um you know because over the last 20 or so years not really 20 but you know certainly you know 15 16 17 years you know the mariners haven't done anything they've had some good seasons but they haven't made the playoffs a couple years ago they were you know trying to get that second wild card spot and just miss it on the last day of the season they needed oakland to lose to be able to do that oakland won and i think that was two years ago could have been in any case um I don't know if I'm going to say yes one way or the other, but I will say that that's, that that's a really good point, and I cannot fault that logic. Uh, question number two. What has been the biggest factor in keeping the Mariners from building, if we're being honest, any serious expectations of playoff-level competitiveness since 2001? If other understated baseball markets such as Kansas City, Milwaukee, Arizona, Tampa Bay, Miami, and Colorado have all enjoyed one or several moments in the sun in the past almost two decades. Why can't Seattle? I'm a fan no matter what, but it does grow tiresome to think that the greatest team successes we have to celebrate in 43 years of existence or an ALDS walk-off win and a regular season wins record that culminated in a decisive ALCS loss. Uh, Part of that is the fact that in 2002 and 2003 where the Mariners did put together some very, very good, uh, a couple of very, very good seasons. Oakland was just that much better. They kept just getting edged out when they have put together a good season, just kept getting edged out by other teams. And the other part of it is that the Mariners have made some very, very bad personnel decisions, particularly when Bill Bavese was the general manager of the team. Remember Richie Sexton? He didn't work out very well. Remember Rich Aurelia? He didn't work out very well. Um, who, I mean, anybody you can name, I mean, um, you know, Jeff Cirillo, Unieski Bentoncourt, one of the most frustrating Mariners that I can remember. And lest you forget Scott Spezio, he was an unmitigated disaster as a Seattle Mariner. Sean Figgins, also a disaster as a Seattle Mariner. And Milton Bradley, another disaster. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And then there's Adrian Beltre. And if we're going to be honest, Beltre was nothing more than a league average third baseman at best for the Seattle Mariners. And they paid him a ton of money to be a little better than mediocre. I know he's going to be a Hall of Famer. All of that production, for the most part, came as a Texas Ranger. After his tenure with the Mariners, and they gave him that big contract based on one career year as a Los Angeles Dodger. And even at that time... I said, you know, why are the Mariners doing this? It's one career year, and I was right. He regressed back to his, you know, career average numbers rather than the monster season he put up with the Dodgers. And his tenure with the Mariners was really unspectacular. It was a lot of bad personnel decisions and just cheapness from the front office. And they also didn't draft particularly well during those years. They're drafting much better now over the last five or so seasons, and those guys are starting to come up th- uh, through the through the minors. Pardon me, and they're hopefully going to be competitive within the next few years. I think the signs are there that this could be a competitive team 
maybe next year, although that think that's kind of an outside chance of that happening. But two years from now is kind of where I'm looking to answer an you know to re-answer an earlier email question that we had. You know, we'll see. I it's it's mostly just bad personnel decisions and a little bit of bad luck. But the, let's let's talk about some of the names you mentioned here. Miami, <laughs> they pretty much bought their two World Series championships through the free agent market and then sold everybody off the next season. So that's an outlier. Um, Tampa Bay, they had at their helm at that time Joe Madden, you know, the, the evil genius. Uh, so to speak, Milwaukee is very has been very smart with their money. Kansas City, I'm not even sure. I mean, I don't really pay much attention to teams outside of Seattle, so I don't know if I can really answer, you know, the other part of that question. Aside from Miami, where it was just obvious that they were just spending big bucks on free agents like the Yankees used to do about 20 years ago to basically purchase World Series trophies. Thank you very much for the question, Lewis, and thank you everybody for writing in. That will do it for this week's mailbag segment. If you want to be featured in next week's mailbag segment, send those questions and comments in to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. And hopefully we generate enough email to do one next week. If not, we'll just hold it over until I can fill a segment. That will do it for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed uh, today, both of today's shows. We will be back on Monday where I will be joined by guest panelists Sheriff Andy Taylor, Comet, and a Nimbus Rain Cloud. That will be fun. Also, a special musical performance by the California Raisins. That's going to be fun. So download, rate, and subscribe to this program so you never miss an episode. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, any podcasting app that uh, pops into your head. Follow us on Twitter as well so you know when the shows are published at LO underscore Mariners. And follow me on Twitter as well at DC underscore Lundberg. Thank you for listening today, ladies and gentlemen, to both of our episodes. Thank you for listening all week. Thank you for listening all season. Thank you for listening to this show since its inception. And I hope that you do have a wonderful weekend. This is Joey Martin saying that we'll be back on Monday for another edition of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.